Tales. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, today on The Rant, I'm taking a look back to last month because there was an article that came out in The Stranger, which is uh, the alt-weekly up there in Seattle. It's entitled, One Way to Protect Washington State's Legal Weed Market from Trump, Burn It to the Ground. That, of course, caught my eye. And the article goes on to interview Allison Holcomb, the author of I-502 in Washington State, who successfully became the first person to ever pass marijuana legalization ever to legalize a state and um you know we, and we've got our problems with 502 it's got the per se duid that's completely unscientific and unjust it's got the uh no home grow which completely sucks and forces us to be under the mercy of the corporate producers although the weed is getting pretty cheap in washington state and, of course, it still maintains it didn't do anything to change Washington State's 40, was it 42 and a half gram or 40 gram? Where? One of those numbers, uh, over 40 grams is still a felony in Washington State. It's also a felony to uh, have any sort of cannabis club in Washington State on purpose or even accidentally. <laughs> so there's still a lot of problems with Washington State's law, but we're not going to talk about that in this rant. We're talking about the effect of the Trump administration and the 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 most effective way this is uh the the concern here of course is the Trump administration's coming in and Trump has tapped Alabama senator Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the 3rd <laughs> as not the most rednecky name that's Jim Bob Cooter who's the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants seriously there's a guy named Jim Bob Cooter <laughs> hate to go off on a tangent, but I, I just have to on this one. I, I, I just can't I can't wrap my mind around what's going through the mother's mind when she decides to have her son named Jim Bob Cooter. Like Mrs. Cooter, have you come up with a name for the infant son? Well, I wanted to name him Jefferson Beauregard Cooter, <laughs> but uh, the senator from Alabama already took it. So uh we're going to go and 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 my my husband says that Jefferson Bogard that that's that's just too that's too rednecky. Jefferson Bogard far too rednecky. So we're going to go with James Robert. That sounds like a nice clean Christian name. James Robert. <laughs> Jim Bob Cooter. Anyway, sorry for the tangent. Um the point was that Sessions is coming in and if he comes in as attorney general, this is a guy who said that good people don't smoke marijuana, that cannabis policy reform has been a tragic mistake. And that the KKK was okay until I found out they smoked pot, right? So this is a guy that's definitely like if you could pick the most hardline senator on cannabis, it, it was Sessions. It was either Sessions or Chuck Grassley. <laughs> There's a ironic name. So people are worried now in the industry that here comes Sessions. What's he going to do to attack the industry? And so Allison Holcomb had this to say about it. 
the most effective way to defeat federal interference in cannabis regulatory systems may very well be for state legislators to repeal all laws and regulations relating to cannabis. Holcomb's plan would have the state legislature completely strip any mention of cannabis from Washington state's legal code, removing both the laws currently regulating the state's legal cannabis market and the much older laws criminalizing cannabis in the first place. Quote, repeal it all so there are no laws on the Washington state books that address marijuana. End quote. This would make the state totally blind toward cannabis. No state agency would keep records on cannabis businesses. No law enforcement officer in the state could investigate pot crimes. It would turn the very regulated and rational cannabis market into the federal government's worst nightmare. The regulations keeping Washington's legal pot within our state, out of children's hands, and away from organized crime would all dissolve. This would not stop the federal government from cracking down on pot. Federal agents would still have every legal right to knock down doors, confiscate bud, and make arrests. But with only about 5,500 sworn DEA agents in the United States, the task would be equal parts Herculean and Sisyphean. <laughs> Most federal law enforcement raids put the heavy lifting on lo local law enforcement, which numbers around 750,000 sworn officers across the country. But if there were no statewide laws on cannabis, local law enforcement would not be able to help. <laughs> so it's an interesting proposal. But it's one that I think would have to be like a blackmail ultimatum the kind of thing where you where the state itself, the state's attorney general or the state's speaker of the house or whoever would have to communicate to sessions on the Trump administration. Look, you let us keep going under the coal memo. You leave the coal memo alone. Keep things just as they are. Or we're going to go with the nuclear option. We will repeal all our cannabis laws. Make it a blackmail threat. It's like, oh, you want to start interfering with our cannabis thing? We'll just not have a cannabis thing. We'll just have no laws on cannabis whatsoever. This isn't treat it like tomatoes. This is treat it like dandelions. This is the North Korea model. Did you know that, by the way? There are no laws on cannabis in North Korea. They literally treat it like dandelions. They grow on, cannabis grows on the side of the road. You can pick it. You can smoke it. Nobody gives a shit. Of course, you got bigger things to worry about in North Korea, but it is the most free cannabis space on the planet. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I suppose there's, you know, Africa and some other places that it's pretty free as well. But it's an interesting concept as a as a threat, as a ultimatum, but. I have my doubts that the state legislatures could pull this off, that they would actually do it because they would be facing so much political backlash from the opponents of marijuana legalization. And remember that even a lot of the people that supported marijuana legalization only came around to it because it was a well-regulated system. When there was wide open legalization proposed in Oregon with Measure 80, it got rejected. So this is, you know, it would be a hard battle to fight. And another thing, it would be a better, it would be a better threat if it were coming from all the legal states. Imagine a coalition of the West Coast states in Colorado. So I don't think you can get Maine and Massachusetts on board because their legislatures uh, didn't want this in the first place. But with Oregon, 
Washington, Colorado, these legislatures are already used to the money coming in. And they've got a public that has increased its support for these uh, legal regimes since they passed. And in California, of course, the huge amount of money and the lieutenant governor and all the political support it's gotten, the greatest support of any statewide initiative to legalize. If all the West Coast states, Nevada, Colorado, California, Oregon, Washington, all banded together and approached the Trump administration and said, look, you let us keep going as we're going. Don't stymie our efforts to get banking. Help us out with the 280E thing here. Or we'll just pull the plug. We'll just we'll just repeal. Well, now, Colorado might not be able to do that because it's in the Constitution. Colorado's not going to be able to pull that off. So maybe it's just have to be the West Coast block, the Pacific block. Because all ours are statutory. We'll just repeal the whole thing. We'll repeal every law on marijuana. And the whole Western United States will be a marijuana-free zone. No taxes, no regulations, no nothing. That's what it would have to be to, to be that strong of a threat. But it may be where we have to end up looking. We may have to think about extreme options like that. Because I think, I think people overestimate sometimes how popular and how powerful the cannabis industry really is, right? We say, oh, but the states are getting so much money. Not compared to the size of their overall budgets, they aren't. Marijuana is not a huge, you know, it's, it's nice. It's nice to have that extra money coming in, but it's not the kind of, it's not big enough to make a difference. It's not small enough to be missed. That's what I heard one, uh, one commentator called it. So we don't have the kind of economic power people think we have, especially if you compare it to other players like pharmaceuticals, alcohol, other industries that don't want us to succeed. We still have to play. We have to, we're having to play in the political theater with those folks. Now, not law enforcement isn't necessarily our enemy anymore. So we overestimate how economically powerful we are. We overestimate how politically powerful we are. Can't tell you how many times I'm in an online debate with someone and they'll say, oh, well, 89% of the public supports medical marijuana. Now, 89% of the public supports the idea if their grandma got cancer, nobody should stop them from smoking a smoker, stop her from smoking a joint. 89% doesn't support Doc in the Box, who's been censored a couple times by the medical board. The only gig he can get anymore is signing his name to uh, re- recommendations at 40 bucks a pop for skateboarders who come in and say they have anxiety. No, 89% of the country don't support that. And yeah, we got 60% support for legalization in this country at this point. But that, again, is people's concept of what legalization is. Not necessarily what we think legalization is. So if we're going to make some sort of big threat or ultimatum to try to protect our industry from Trump and Sessions, we better do it all together. I don't I don't see that just one state can pull this off. All right, we got to take a break here for the top of the hour. We'll come back with more here on the Rest Belleville Show, live from Delta 9 Studios in Portland, Oregon. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it.
it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? Or you can tell. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Ganja Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Hey, hey, hey. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio. You can talk, you can talk, etc., etc. Glad to have you here. Hey, uh, quick note as to uh, Willie Nelson got a Christmas sweater. Did you see the picture? Came across the uh, stoner news feeds. <laughs> the, uh, uh, Willie Nelson got a Christmas sweater from uh, Snoop Dogg. And it says smoke weed every day. <laughs> this is very cute. So I thought that was a that was a nice little uh, gift there. Um, and uh, it's, it's the new year. We're glad to have you all here at uh, the Russ Belville show. And we got a lot of big surprises coming up in this forthcoming year. And a couple of quick notes. Uh, I posted up on weednews.co the uh, dozen quick facts. And I got fact checked. I, I messed up a fact. I had said that statewide medical marijuana has gone 14 for 17 in elections. It's actually 14 for 18. 14 for 18. I'd forgotten about Florida because Florida lost in 2014. I didn't pick it up in my filter because I was filtering for stuff that was 50% or less as a loss, right? It's like, oh, well, yeah, Florida lost because it's less than 60% what you need in Florida. So I've made the adjustment. If you downloaded the graphic from uh, the uh, Weed News site, there's a new graphic up in its place with the correct data. We always want to make sure the data is correct. And uh, there'll be plenty of data to access at the new radicalrust.com. I've been working on that. We should have that up in a couple of weeks. For you to take a look at, uh, I've been collecting data on a bunch of these different spreadsheets for years now, and uh, I'm ready to get it released to the general public. You can uh, make all sorts of great uh, drug war data mining arguments from this stuff. I've got every 
poll on marijuana legalization nationwide since 1969. I've got all 50 states and five U.S. territories as far as their marijuana laws and their population and how much they smoke per month and how much the kids are smoking and how dangerous they think it is and statistics on alcohol and other drugs as well. And it can help you make your arguments. Uh, I think there's going to be five data sets. We'll have the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, the Monitoring of the Future set. We'll have drug abuse, uh, I mean, um, 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 uh, treatment episode data set, the TEDs, the information on drug rehabs. We'll have the uh, uh, FARS Encyclopedia, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration on fatal crashes and all of that. Plus, I have some state-level data that I'll be putting up from Washington, Colorado, and Oregon uh, for their traffic and crime and, and other measures since legalization has taken place. But all of this takes money. This all takes money, and it's the new year, and it's time for me to start generating some more sponsorships and donations. So you're going to be hearing from me begging for cash from time to time. And this is going to be one of those times. It's not my favorite thing to do. It's not your favorite thing to hear. But we need to refill the coffers. So if you can help out, you can send donations via PayPal. It's russ at radicalrust.com for PayPal. Russ at RadicalRust.com and the more you send, the more I get. <laughs> That's the way it works. And I tell you, when I get it, I buy cameras and laptops and baggage and Uber fees and plane tickets and train tickets and SD cards and all the stuff I need to keep bringing you all these articles and all these audio recordings and videos and pictures and stories from the world of marijuana. I want to keep doing it. Help me do it. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. CannabisRadio.com. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents the newest and greatest podcast in the galaxy, The Real Dirt with Chip Baker, your insider industry connection to accurate and entertaining information about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. Rolling joints and dropping knowledge about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. The future of legal cannabis has arrived, and we want to give you The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Look for new episodes at CannabisRadio.com, TheRealDirt.com, or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. 
Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Just about nine after the hour. Just catching up on some of the chat room. Glad to see so many folks out there run around. And John Thomas, Reverend Richard Tiaris, is that name? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Tommy's out there. Kelly, Kathy, Kathy. I need better glasses. Doc Herbalist, good to see you all. Thanks for joining us. And uh, if you're listening and you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, we have a live chat room. <laughs> if you're uh, listening on the uh, iHeartRadio or the Spreaker or the uh, Cannabis Radio Player, there's this little balloon. It looks like a little cartoon balloon. If you click that, it'll open up the chat room. You can join the rest of the chatters, including Big Daddy Fink, who just signed in from the Atlanta area. No, South Carolina. South Carolina, South Kakalaki. Anyway, I uh, got another story I wanted to talk about a little bit here, and it has to do with an article that I was reading in L.A. Weekly about Marijuana Anonymous. And it's, you know, modeled on Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program, and how Marijuana Anonymous helps combat cannabis dependency. Now, I'm not going to get into the argument about whether there is cannabis dependency how serious it may be, whether these people really have it. Because as far as I'm concerned, if they think they have it and they want to sit in a room with each other and talk about it, fine. Great. That's that's your thing. How people, their relationship, you know, other people's relationship with cannabis to me is none of my business. I don't care, right? If you've got a problem with it and you need some help with that, I encourage you to get that help. Please do. My only issue with cannabis really is is personal, is is really that I have a relationship with it, and I don't think I should be treated differently because of that. That's really what it comes down to. I shouldn't be arrested, ticketed, fined, jailed, discriminated against, rejected, shunned, treated differently, given second-class service or participation, Restricted from employment or housing or medical treatments or child custody or gun rights or anything else. My relationship with cannabis ought to be nobody's business. No big deal. So when it comes to this idea of cannabis dependency and marijuana anonymous and and all of that, it doesn't affect me and I don't care about it. Until it starts getting used as a method to start infringing on my rights and treating me differently and making me a second class citizen again. And so what I wanted to focus on here was this notion of cannabis dependency and how it's going to be used by our opponents and, and people who dislike us, cannabis bigots, how they're going to use this in the future as marijuana inevitably becomes more and more legal. 
And I was wanted to hit upon one particular link that was in the story. And it had to do with studies on dependence, on drug use dependence. And so this study that they brought up came from 2010. And the study was entitled Probability and Predictors of Transition from First Use to Dependence on Nicotine, Alcohol, Cannabis, and Cocaine. Results of the National Epidemiological Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions. So these researchers were basically trying to figure out what is the cumulative probability of developing dependence among nicotine, alcohol, cannabis, and cocaine users. And to try to predict the, you know, what effects lead from use to dependence. So they did this on 50, they had 15,000, almost 16,000 smokers, almost 29,000 drinkers, 7,300 pot smokers, about 2,200 cocaine users. And they used analysis to figure out what's the cumulative probability of transitioning from use to dependence. What's the chance that using this drug is going to lead you to being dependent on the drug. Now, what they found was that the cumulative probability estimate of transition to dependence was 67.5% for nicotine users. Wow. So what they're saying is someone who smokes a cigarette two out of three times is going to end up being a smoker, going to be addicted to it have dependence problem. Two out of three of them that try it will move on to dependence. Cumulative probability. They found that it was 22.7% for alcohol users. More than one out of five people who try a drink of alcohol are going to end up dependent on it. They're going to have an alcohol problem. More than one out of five. They found that the cumulative probability estimate for transition to dependence was 20.9% for cocaine users. One out of five people that tries cocaine going to have a dependence problem with it. About the same rate as the alcohol users. A little less. And for cannabis, the cumulative probability estimate of transition to dependence for cannabis users was 8.9%. Barely one out of 11. Now, another thing they discovered in this study was that the dependence came faster with cannabis and cocaine. That is, it, the, median, the median number of cases, half the cases that transitioned to dependence, the median was 27 years for smoking. The median for alcohol was 13 years. The median for cocaine was five years and the median for cannabis was four. So far fewer people are going to have a dependence problem with cannabis, but they're going to find out quicker. <laughs> it's going to take less time for them to find that out. And, and what this study tells us here, what I, you know, what I want to get out of this study here is that this idea of cannabis dependence being used as a cudgel 
to beat back marijuana legalization, oh my God, people become dependent on it, once again suffers from that selective bias of not looking at the other drugs, the legal ones, where one out of five are going to get addicted to alcohol and two out of three are going to get addicted to nicotine. So do we require the same sorts of requirements for nicotine? Imagine, if you will, that we took the rules for marijuana packaging and we applied them to cigarettes. Imagine no more just pull the little piece of plastic, you know, strip off of the, the you know, the little cellophane off of the, the cigarette pack to get your smokes. Imagine that instead it comes in a childproof sealed container. Opaque, childproof sealed container with no colors, no cartoon characters and no, you know, flashy graphics. All right. Just like, uh, you know, just like we do with cannabis, right? Opaque, sealed containers, childproof for your cigarettes. Imagine proposing that. Imagine proposing the advertising restrictions on alcohol that are being proposed for cannabis. Your bar can't have a sign any bigger than 1,600 square inches. can only be black letters on white font of a certain point size. You can't have any giveaways. You can't have any two-for-ones. You can't uh, have any specials. Imagine. And, and, but, but these substances that have a two out of three dependence risk and a one out of five dependence risk, we do very little to curb the one out of five one. We do, we've done better with the, the tobacco one. There's a lot more restrictions on tobacco advertising and tobacco promotion than there used to be. But... Uh, Nowhere near what we're trying to build for cannabis that only has a dependence issue with one out of nine. And then let's consider what is the effect of that dependence on our society. Two out of three tobacco smokers moving on to a dependence leads to those two out of three people having more lung cancer, having more emphysema, having more health issues, costing our health care system more reducing our productivity, not just from their illnesses and absenteeism, but also from the damn cigarette breaks they got to take every hour or two. The alcohol, the one out of five that are getting addicted to alcohol, we know that those alcohol addicts are the ones that are driving drunk and hitting people and killing people and developing cirrhosis and the ones that are, you know, the ones that assault their spouse or their domestic partner. They commit the crimes while they're drunk. We know that's happening. But what is the significant societal impact of the one out of 11 who develop the dreaded cannabis dependence? What, more noodly guitar solos? Uh, Really, really awesome pastries? Uh, Great art? Uh, (laughs) What is it? What's the problem we're trying to protect ourselves from by not having the billboards and putting the stuff in the childproof opaque containers and reducing the advertising and limiting the one ounce purchases and the home grows have to be completely locked up? Ah, What is the big societal fear? Well, it's that people will grow that pot and sell it on the black market to places where it's illegal. Really, it's so odd that so much of what is wrong with how we're legalizing 
isn't the fault of legalizing. It's the fault of us having to deal with other places that still maintain prohibition. Boot to the head. Ow, you booted me to the head! Yeah, you had it coming. <laughs> Happy 420, everyone. From one of America's two legal time zones, with the exception of the Pacific time zone in Idaho. But it's uh, great to be legal. I'm going to celebrate with this nice, well-rolled cone. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the dependency on cannabis. Oh, no! We were talking uh, before the break about the uh, dreaded cannabis dependency. I feel like when it comes to someone's relationship with cannabis, the only person that can determine whether or not they've got a problem with it is the person who's got a problem with it. And there is a psychological or psychiatric designation for a substance use disorder, SUD. The DSM-5 has got a list of like, I think it's 11 different things that you ask someone. And if someone's answering yes to a couple of them or more, that's supposed to be indicative of a substance use disorder. And there's things in it like, you know, tried many, many times to stop and was unsuccessful in stopping and spend a lot of time trying to acquire the the product and, you know, strange thoughts and all sorts of weird things in there. And the problem with it is that for one, in the context of, of cannabis being illegal in most places, that kind of confounds the diagnosis a little bit. You might have strange thoughts. You might be a little paranoid because they really are out to get you, right? That could be problematic. And, you know, spending a lot of time trying to get the substance. Well, yeah, it's illegal. You can't just walk to a store and get it. Right. And then it's also confounded by the fact that cannabis isn't like a lot of other drugs in that it's it's not always a drug of abuse. It's got so many medical benefits to it. So when someone says, well, you know, I I just couldn't stop smoking marijuana because, yeah, once I once I tried to quit, I just I had this terrible insomnia. Well, maybe. It's cannabis that is your medicine for insomnia and stopping taking your medicine is having your symptoms come back. What I'm trying to get at here is when they talk about what are the problems people suffer, how do you tell that you've got a dependency could just be you stop taking medicine and now the things that you suffer from are coming back, <laughs> you know, that you're no longer treating the problems you had. See, it's it's always it's always a sore spot with me because I come from this background where my uh, you know dad was addicted to alcohol, addicted to speed, and went into counseling, got into recovery, got his degree as a social worker with a emphasis on drug and alcohol counseling, and then went back and became a drug and alcohol counselor for a decade or so. He was uh, treating people, and he had to treat people with real dependency issues. Heavy-duty drinkers and meth addicts and, you know, all sorts of heroin, terrible things, right? 
And, and so it always bothers me putting the marijuana dependent in that same discussion. It, it reminds me of the scene from Half Baked, right? <laughs> so it, it reminds me of how, you know, we put murderers there. We put, you know, pot smokers in the same jail cells with murderers, right? It's just disproportionate. It does not fit. Now, it's not to say that some people don't have a problem with marijuana and and do need to stop smoking it and can't. I'm not going to say that doesn't exist. But again, that's up to the person to decide. I don't think there's any one size fits all thing that's going to that's going to work for this. There's not going to be any real easy checklist to try to determine if someone's suffering from substance use disorder. For example, I smoke marijuana. I, I, did you catch that? You might have noticed over the years. I smoke marijuana not just every day, but multiple times every day throughout the day. Like I get up in the morning, I sit down at the laptop, I start going through the news, and I smoke a joint. Around lunchtime, might take a dab. During the show, smoke another joint. After the show, take another dab. Have some dinner. Maybe have a dab before going to bed. Rinse and repeat. Same every day. So do I have a dependence on marijuana? I, I don't think so. I put out more writing output than most of my colleagues that I can think of. I've done now. This is show number 881 that I've produced and written and put together. And that's on top of another 908 shows I did before that with normal all on my own, right? Writing, booking, producing, recording, editing, posting. <laughs> I do it all. And the travel booking and the travel and the hotels and the, uh, the interviews and the logistics and all that too. It's all me. Do I have, am I, am I dependent? If I had to go without weed, would it be a big issue in my life? Probably. I remember before I smoked a lot of weed, I, I used to be kind of insomniac. I used to be more anxious. And people are like, my God, you're so hyper. I can't imagine what you'd be like without weed. Yeah, you don't want to imagine it. It's not pretty. <laughs> so that's why I think there's no real one size fits all that works for this. And And my relationship with cannabis is just fine. Thank you. But this is where it starts to clash with the public policy people because the way the public policy people think of it is that marijuana smoking itself per se is a bad thing. It's something that ought to be reduced, eliminated if possible, but we know we can't eliminate it. So we'll reduce it as much as possible because smoking of marijuana is bad and smoking more of it therefore must be worse. That's kind of like the, the default mindset I see a lot of these public policy people coming at us with. It comes in these proposals of, well, we need to make sure that the price doesn't get too low. Why? Well, because then people would smoke marijuana and it'd, it'd be easier. You know, kids would smoke it more, too. Yeah, but I smoke more, too. I smoke a lot. I'm not going to smoke anymore. I really think I'm smoking as much as I can smoke. And all you're doing by keeping the price high 
is making me have to spend more money on it. This is this is a hypothetical uh, conversation where I actually have to spend money on weed. I don't spend money on weed. I know too many growers. <laughs> but anyway, I'm one of the lucky ones. Hypothetically, if I had to spend money on weed, all you're doing by keeping the price high is is artificially restricting people's choice to use as much weed as they'd like. And for some of us, that's a bad thing. For the medical patients out there, it's certainly a bad thing, artificially making the price high. And for people like me who just, it's just a part of our life. We just, it's like coffee to us. It's like just a daily thing. You're infringing on our rights to try to dissuade somebody from taking the wrong path or becoming addicted to something that, again, the studies show is the one least likely to get addicted to. We could, we could handle at least it would be a little more understandable if all of these restrictions and, and, and this mindset was applied to everything else that's far more harmful than, than marijuana. But for it to consistently be applied against this brand new marijuana thing, which has been around for 7,000 years, but to be consistently applied to our choice and not applied to everyone else's choices that are so more harmful to themselves and to the rest of society just gets old. It just is so frustrating. We just want equal treatment. And it's hard to accept not getting that equal treatment. It's hard to accept it when you turn on the television and it's bad enough that there's the, the beer ads, right? And, the, you know, the Coors Light and all that and the, the, you know, the bikini models with the cheeseburgers, all the stuff that I've been mentioning. The, but that's advertising, right? You can expect, you know, advertising. They're trying to sell something. They're going to use sex. They're going to make it seem glamorous and young and hip and chic. And you can expect that, right? That's already bad enough. But then you'll turn on shows like Today, the Today Show, like hour four of the Today Show with Hoda and Kathy Lee. Are they still doing that? I haven't watched Today in a while, but are they still doing that thing where they've all got like a full glass of wine at nine in the morning? And they're having the wine Wednesday or whatever the hell they call it. Are they still doing that? They're not selling wine, at least as far as I understand it. They're just taking drugs on television because it's enjoyable for adults to do. Nobody thinks of it that way. Nobody thinks of the, oh my God, Kathleen Gifford's taking drugs on TV. That's what alcohol is. And I'm fine with it. I think it's, you know, can be entertaining as hell. I, I like the old clips of the 60s when uh, the Rat Pack, you know, Dean Martin and, uh, 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 you know, Sammy Davis Jr. and all those guys were Peter Lawford. They were, Drinking on stage. They had a bar. They literally had a bar on stage at the Sands during their sets with an orchestra behind the bar, right? And the bartender right there on the stage while Dean singing or Frank Sinatra singing. Uh, <laughs> they go over and grab another highball and drink it down. I got no problem with that. That's adult stuff. I'm all for it. It's just why do we not get that for us? Why? Are we still 
demonizing marijuana as if it's this terrible, terrible thing and not terrible from the perspective, not even necessarily terrible from the perspective of what it might do to you. I think a lot of people are past that reefer madness, but still a thing bad people do, a dirty thing, a forbidden thing, a not honorable thing, a dishonorable thing. That's that's what I'm sick of. I'm sick of having to deal with that stigma. That we somehow need to be ashamed. We somehow need to hide. We somehow can't let the kids know that adults smoke pot. And yet the kids are quite cognizant that we do. And are well aware of the drinking and the cigar smoking and the pharmaceuticals and the couple in the bathtub with the erectile dysfunction drugs. They're quite well aware of them. Why do we need to stay hidden? I I think it's time for us to not be hidden. It's time for us to be open and proud and understand that legalization isn't just, oh, we're sick of locking potheads up. It's we deserve equal rights. We want the same rights responsibilities and respect as our beer drinking friends it's not too much to ask fairness equality an end to separate but equal i think that's as american as it gets huh all right stay tuned folks we're going to take a commercial break and we'll be back with more here on the russ belleville show live from portland oregon This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour, and I'm really excited about the Inauguration Day protest Adam Eidinger and the cats with DCMJ, the DC Cannabis Coalition, are going to be handing out 4,200 joints at Donald Trump's inauguration. And they're instructing folks at 4 minutes and 20 seconds into Donald Trump's inauguration speech to light them up. And wow, this will be, I think, our first big test to see what's going to happen here (laughs) with weed under a Trump administration. Because it's an interesting situation in Washington, D.C. Of course, Initiative 71 legalized the uh, personal possession of up to two ounces of marijuana in Washington, D.C. and home cultivation. But Congress has blocked uh, any sort of marijuana market. So there's no shops, there's no commercial grows or anything. However, people can gift marijuana to one another. They can give it to each other freely. So I was there in May uh, when DCMJ had a protest outside the White House, and they had set it up where they brought out a big old wagon, and it had a uh, um, uh, had a like a PA system kind of thing on it, and we were just right out there in front of Lafayette Park and handing out joints and seedlings to people, 
uh, let's see about 100, 200 people out there. Uh, and, and people were lighting up. And the Secret Service was right there. I mean, you could see him plain as day just looking at us. And the Washington, D.C. police, and nobody's doing anything about it. Now, in Washington, D.C., though, you have to remember that not everything in Washington, D.C. is Washington, D.C. A lot of stuff in Washington, D.C. is federal land. In fact, I think it's about 60% of the land in D.C. is federal. And we found this out in May. I mean, we didn't find it out, but it, it, it affected us in May when we were having that protest because we were protesting initially on Pennsylvania Avenue. Pennsylvania Avenue is a road. It therefore is part of Washington, D.C., the city. Now, Pennsylvania Avenue runs right in front of the White House there, right? And so that's where we were protesting. And since we were on that road, that's D.C. property and the joints we were holding were perfectly legal. But there was a disturbance that day and the Secret Service wanted to close off Pennsylvania Avenue for safety's sake, move everyone back a block. Well, back a block was, uh, I think, I Street or H Street. I can't remember which. and Or maybe it's K Street, whatever it is. But one of them letter streets. And again, that's a street. So it's Washington, D.C. So it's D.C. land. It's perfectly legal to have that joint. But in between Pennsylvania and that street was Lafayette Park. And Lafayette Park is federal. It's federal land. So all the folks that had weed on them and plants and all that stuff were legal on the street. And then they walked, if they walked into the park, they were federally illegal and could be arrested. And then once they got back out to the street, they'd be legal again. <laughs> That's how weird it is. In fact, a lot of people walked all the way around to get to the next cross street and come up and come back up just so they would be legal the whole time rather than making the cut across the park. So how much of the inauguration is going to be visible from places that are DC land and not federal land. I haven't mapped it out. I'm going to do that later on tonight, trying to figure that out for, for an article, but I want to make a map for people. If you're going to smoke weed at the Trump protest or Trump inauguration, here's where you need to do it (laughs) so that you're legal. And we'll see how that works out. You know, some people disdain smoke-ins. You know, some people have the attitude of how, you know, we're trying to put our best foot forward and we're trying to present ourselves as responsible cannabis consumers. So having smoke-ins is counterproductive because it shows us as being, you know, rebels that break the law and don't care about the public and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I, I see that point, but I think a bigger point is made through civil disobedience by disturbing people, by getting them out of their comfort zone and forcing them to confront the reality of the situation, right? To confront the idea that, okay, I'm breaking a law right in your face. And if you really think it's a terrible, terrible thing, then you must do something about it. And when they don't, well, then that proves the point. Or if they do, that helps convince other people that what they're doing is wrong. Now, it's the basis of how Martin Luther King, Gandhi, all sorts of people made a point was civil disobedience. That tension that's necessary to sometimes make your point to get people to understand. You know, I read sometimes people getting upset, like here in Portland, 
people get upset when there's like a Black Lives Matter protest or a Trump protest and they walk out onto the freeway. They walk out onto I-5 and they block the traffic on I-5 or they walk into the the max line tracks, you know, our, our light rail train. And block that and block the commuters that are trying to get home. And, and I read people complain. Oh, I was on your side until you did that. And oh, you blocked the traffic and you made my life suck. And man, they get all upset, right? But I think they missed the point of the tension, the point of the civil disobedience, which is if you think you're inconvenienced just trying to drive somewhere on the freeway because there's a bunch of protesters in the road. Imagine being a black guy trying to drive anywhere and getting pulled over on a weekly basis and how much that's an annoyance to his life. Imagine, you know, the, the, the point being, I don't want to try to make up more examples. The point being, though, that if you're inconvenienced by the traffic problem, by the protest, imagine how much more inconvenient what they're protesting about is. And I think people miss that sometimes so i support this i think the dcmj thing is a great idea smoke out the trump administration let's do it of course maybe some will say ah see there's the backlash that's what jeff sessions will jump right on see they smoked weed right out there in front of the inauguration i don't know i think it's worth doing i i say keep pushing the boundaries it, we're we're just gonna have to it's gonna be an interesting next four years and i think the the tactics we're going to have to employ are going to have to be a little less nice guy, a little less, oh, we'll, we'll find a way that we can possibly work with them. We might be able to work with them and might be. Able... Now, I think this is going to be a brawl. I think that, uh, well, I've been writing about it for a while now. I think that the team that Trump is putting together in his administration does not bode well for it being friendly toward the marijuana industry. Let's put it that way. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. Maybe Donald Trump has lined up, you know, maybe Donald Trump, Coach Trump here, has, you know, drafted running back after running back after running back. But when he puts them on the field, it'll all be for passing game. Right? Maybe. But no, I think when the coach keeps drafting running back and offensive linemen, he's trying to produce a team that'll produce a running game. Right? If Trump is putting Sessions and Price and all these anti-marijuana people into you know, positions of power. That tells me what that that says more to me than what he says. His actions say more to me than what he says. I don't believe a damn thing Donald Trump says. I don't think Trump believes half the things Donald Trump says. And I know there's all these people out there in, you know, I may be in the minority amongst the uh, cannabis commentators right now. I, I read a lot of con- cannabis commentators that are either saying, ah, it's uh, they would be unwise to pick a fight with marijuana. It's too big. There's too much money. All these states are making the money and all the, the jobs that are being created. It's a new industry. And Trump's a money guy. He'll see the money coming and he'll know that there's money involved and he'll want nothing but money, 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 money. I don't think so. I think I think that there's still, for many people, a, a moral issue to this that outweighs the money issue. And I think for Trump, there's not enough money in play for him because he's not a weed smoker. He's not even a drinker. He's a teetotaler. People forget that. There's nothing in play for Trump here. And there's something in play against Trump's friends in some of these other industries. He just put an oil industry guy as the as the secretary of state, CEO of Exxon. 
you know, Exxon, those pro cannabis people, right? <laughs> right? So who's going to be getting the attention of a Donald Trump? The cannabis industry with its, ooh, we've got a whole $6 billion. Ooh, $6 billion. Ooh. What was ExxonMobil's profits last year? Let's consult the, uh, let's consult the uh, Google here. ExxonMobil profits. See how our six billion. Now remember that six billion industry that we're that we're talking about is the entire, you know, industry, the total industry nationwide. ExxonMobil uh, had a net income of two point six five billion in the third quarter. So eh, for the year, they're going to be about the same as the marijuana industry, the whole marijuana industry. This one oil company, ExxonMobil, made as much profit. Remember, this is net income, not gross. Made as much profit as the entire gross of the marijuana industry. So who's going to get Trump's ear? His secretary of state, the CEO of Exxon, that makes as much profit as the entire marijuana industry does in a year? Makes as much profit as the value of the entire marijuana industry? Or the marijuana industry that's mostly concentrated in blue California, blue Oregon, blue Washington, blue Nevada, blue Colorado, blue Massachusetts, blue except for one electoral vote, Maine, and three electoral votes in Alaska where there is no real cannabis money. See, that's the way I think about this, right? Trump's got nothing to lose by pissing off California, Oregon, Nevada, Washington, Maine, Massachusetts, and Colorado. It's not going to cost him any re-elections or anything. He'll be just fine. But uh, him going against and, and promoting and, and, and allowing a marijuana industry to develop could piss off a Kansas or Nebraska. I mean, he's not going to lose those states either, but maybe some of them Rust Belt states that he needs to keep a hold of. Who knows? Again, it's all speculation at this point. I I could not be hoping more that I am wrong, <laughs> that I'm wrong about what's going to happen under Trump. I hope I'm so wrong. I hope that in a year from now, people are laughing at me. God, Rush, you thought it was going to be the worst thing ever. And look what happened. Look at all the jobs. Look at all the money. Can you believe that Trump and Sessions gave us the go-ahead? Can you believe they even made the coal member memo better than it was? Wow, it's, who would have thought? <laughs> I just don't think so. Just read what the folks out at Project Sam are already asking for. They're saying at a minimum, the federal government ought to enforce the coal memo to the letter. And what they mean by that is doing federal surveys on all of the things that the coal memo says the state shouldn't do. And if they violate any one of them, shut down their industry or sanction it heavily. All right, we'll uh, be back in just a moment to wrap things up on this Wednesday. Thanks for listening. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, as we wind up that last segment, <clears throat> I wanted to make a mention. I got a lot of inspiration from an article in Politico magazine, Jeff Sessions' Coming War on Legal Marijuana. is written by Jim Higdon. Uh, if you recognize that name, he's the author of Cornbread Mafia. He was a guest on our Reformers Reader segment. And uh, Higdon makes a really good point in here and talks about how the Rohrabacher Amendment uh, twice passed the House uh, in the most recently in 2015 as part of the omnibus spending package and signed into law. The Rohrabacher Amendment, of course, is the one that says the DOJ can't spend any money to prosecute in the medical marijuana states. And that's protected them from federal raids for the past couple of years. And this went through the even up to the the courts that said, no, it's, you know, absolutely legit. Can't go after the uh, states. Here's the problem. If it's part of a spending bill, it has to be renewed every year. And so this Rohrabacher Fire Amendment, it's good until this April. And now there's new rules that have been implemented by Speaker of the House Paul Ryan. This is according to Higdon's article. Amendments related to guns, abortion, LGBT issues, and marijuana will no longer be permitted. A change that Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey, a sponsor of a bill to protect industrial hemp programs, considers an affront to regular order and a travesty to our democracy. So, no more purse-string amendments to protect veterans, to protect medical marijuana, to nothing like that. No, no more of this. You can't spend money to bust people will be possible through the house where we've been making a lot of gains. Now we could try to do that in the Senate, but it's 52, 48 Republicans in the Senate at this point, And the chances of getting that through a committee are zero. So as of April, that protection that we've got for medical marijuana goes away. And uh, like like I said, the folks out at uh, uh, Project Sam, they've got uh, some ideas as to what should happen. They're they're already saying that there should be um, a, a memo to the uh, marijuana industry. This is um, Sabet says to the DOJ could write a letter to governors in legalized states stating that any state that issued licenses regulating marijuana sales is a violation of the Controlled Substances Act and say they have 90 days to revoke licenses. It could issue a new memo to the states that have not implemented marijuana sales yet and say that they advise those states not to allow them. DOJ could also say that in the next six months they will enforce the 2013 Cole Memo and determine if states have violated its terms. It would be hard to argue that they haven't. Without any restraint from Congress and being egged on by the likes of Project Sam, the only thing that could stand in Attorney General Sessions' way of launching a new front in the marijuana wars is the president-elect. So, folks, you want to trust Trump? You think Trump's going to be keen on a big marijuana industry <laughs> i wouldn't make that bet all right folks that's all the time we got for today time flies when you legalize thanks for joining us here and every weekday on cannabisradio.com where we are live from beautiful legal potland oregon and delta nine studios i'm radical russ thanks for joining us and until next time take care of each other tokers 
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seat, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.